Good morning, family. How's everybody doing today? Have you said Happy New Year to somebody else yet today? I know it's already two weeks in, but it's the first time for many of us to be together. So Happy New Year to you. May it be a wonderful, wonderful 2018. Amen. Turn to somebody, come on, and say, may this be a bleep, really great year for you. Carmen, may it be a great year for you. Nice to see you. And Sean, yes, yes. I trust that you've had a, a good December time. We had a, a good time away as a family and was privileged to, to spend some good family time and just in, in wonderful, beautiful places and, and rest some, but we're looking forward to this year. This, this is also the week where most of the schools start, so uh, we want to make sure we offer a prayer for particularly the teachers <laughs> that still want to have holiday but are having to work and all the pupils that are going back to school, and varsity students, that are, particularly those that are starting this year. So if you're going back to school this year, if you're a first-year student going to start your varsity journey, and if you're a teacher, won't you stand quickly, and uh, we want to just pray for you and bless you for this year. Come on, stand. As I pray for you, I'd also like to pray that we just agree together for the Lord's grace in our nation. As we know, education is a, is a difficult thing for us in our country currently. It's a hot spot. We need God's provision. We need God's wisdom. We want every child in this nation to have an opportunity for excellent education. Amen? And we want, but we want to pray that it happens in a, in, a, in a good way and in a wise way that every person has an opportunity. So I want to pray for that also as we agree together today. So if there's anybody standing close to you, lay hands on them or stretch out a hand to them and let's just bless them. Father, we thank you for a new year with new opportunities, new challenges. And uh, Father, thank you for every pupil, first of all, that will be going to school this year, starting a new year at school, for every student going to varsity for the first time. Lord, we just bless them in Jesus' name. We pray, Lord, that your hand will be upon them, that this will be an amazing year of growth, of development for them, Father, as people, that they'll mature and grow in you, but also in their learning, that they would have wonderful opportunities and be able to maximize every opportunity. Father, we pray for that in Jesus' name. We pray for our teachers, Lord. Thank you for them that carry this calling or this vocation, Lord, of making a difference in the lives of people. And we bless them, Father. Lecturers, Lord, we bless them. And we ask that this will be a tremendous year for them where they will have breakthroughs within their vocation and see just the difference they make in people's lives will become so tangible and visible, Father. And then we pray for our nation. And Lord, we trust you that in this nation it will be possible for every child to have a good education, Father. And that there will be no obstacles that keeps us from that, Father. But we pray, Lord, that you would lead our, our, our leaders, Lord, that this will not be merely a political issue used for any agendas, but that we would really find solutions that are workable and good so that, Father, we can move ahead as a nation in this also. And we trust you for it. We speak your blessing over our education system, over every learner, every pupil, every teacher, every lecturer, every administrator. We bless them, Lord, in Jesus' name. And we all agree and say, amen. Amen. amen, amen. This week is a very special week for us, both at the South Church and here. We will be having our week of prayer and fasting, and we invite both communities to, to join and to pray together and to trust God for this year and to position ourselves before the Lord so that we can see His will happen in our community, in our church, and in our lives for this year. So you would have received a pamphlet like this that has the, the title of this week is Reflect. And uh, we want to reflect on the Lord and then so that we can reflect Him to the world around us. And on this pamphlet is all the times and, and that you need. And we will be praying mainly in, the, in, the, in our functions hall that will be set up for that purpose of prayer. So come in these times and join us and, and pray. If you can come once this week, that's great. If you can come every day or every time we pray, then come. We really want to spend a, a good time in prayer. And it's a great way to start the year uh, and just in terms of us as a community together, but also in terms of each of us in our personal lives. So please join us uh, from today, from after the service, the time of prayer starts and it runs up until next week, sun, uh, next Sunday before the service when we end the time of prayer. So please join us for all of that. I'd like to share a word with you that I, I just felt the Lord wanting us to just remind us of this as we start this new year. And the title of, of this, this talk that I want to give this morning is The God of Promise. The God of promise. And give me a little bit of time this morning to, to just help us remember that God is faithful to his promises. 
I don't know how many of you can say, I'm glad 2017 is finished. Anybody out there that says, may 2018, may the worst of 2017 be the best of, no, the best of 2000, there we go. The best of 2017 be the worst of 2018. Somebody said that to me the other day. May 2018 be a wonderful year. And we do this. This is our habit. We, we see each other. And I say, see Litzolo. And I say, hey, Litzolo. I spoke to him on the phone this week and said, and, and I got it in first. He tried, but I got it first. When he answered the phone, I said, Happy New Year. He said, man, I wanted to say Happy New Year first. And we, we speak blessing over each other. And we say, may it be a wonderful year. Why do we do that? Why do we speak blessing over each other? When so often we've all experienced it, how we could have been disappointed. Perhaps you think back of last year this time and you thought, man, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting good things and I'm trusting for good things and people spoke blessing over you, but then some things went wrong through the year and it didn't perhaps end up the way you wanted it. And, and we saw so many disappointments in our world and so many things happened and we expected for good. You know, we expected Bafana, Bafana, it's going to be a good year. <sighs> Let's not even speak about the spring box. You know, it all started so well and then it just went... <laughs> You know, and, and in politics, it, oh, we had some disappointments and everywhere we, we, we start and we speak blessing over each other and we say it's going to be a good year and so often there's so many disappointments. But you know, when we as believers say to each other, may you be blessed in 2018, may it be a good year, are we just sort of saying it because it's something we say? Do we just sort of, you know, cross our fingers and say, oh, I hope that everything's going to be okay? Or is there more to it than that? Do we, when we say that, do we have substance for the reason that we have hope? Do we have substance for, for the, the expectancy that we have for this year, that, that there's going to be good things in this year? I think we do. Because of this fact that we serve the God of promise. Our God is a promise-making God and a promise-keeping God and a promise-fulfilling God. Amen? Amen? Have you experienced God's promises in your life? Now, I'm going to remind you of this how God is like this, by taking us through a, a quick journey through the story of the nation of Israel and how they were established because of a promise and how God kept His promise and fulfilled His promise. The story of the nation of Israel basically begins, in, 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 in its true essence, it begins when God had an interaction with a man. On one specific day, God decided, and there was a process probably around it, to have a talk with a man. And he called this particular man aside and he spoke to him. And he gave this man a promise. And because of the promise that he gave this man, a nation was born and a nation was established. Now this man was Abraham, first of all known as Abram. And we read about it in Genesis 12, where one day God said to this man, now Abram, was, as we know, and, and tradition tells us, an, an idol worshiper. His family produced uh, idolatry materials. He didn't have particularly have an interest in God. He didn't know that there was a God that made Adam and Eve, and even in that time, already made promises to mankind. He didn't know that there was a God that, that instituted and initiated all of this and, and was on a journey with us as mankind and was taking us somewhere. He didn't know about this. He, he didn't expect anything from this God. He didn't have a, 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 a scripture against his wall and every day he was claiming the scriptures. He, he lived oblivious of God until God came and spoke to him. And God said these words to Abraham. He said, Lord, the Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and, I, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and in verse 7 the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to your offspring I will give this land so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him almost out of the blue God comes and he speaks to this man and he says I am going to make a great nation out of you Abraham didn't ask for this promise this was God's initiative but God did this because of the process he began in the Garden of Eden. And when man and, and, and Adam and Eve fell away and, and, and ate of the apple, and oh, the apple, the fruit, I shouldn't say apple, ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and turned away from God, God made a promise right there that he would work to bring man back into his will and into his purposes. So now he comes and he carries on with that. 
And he, and he uses Abraham as the object. And he says, Abraham, I am going to fulfill my promise. And through you, I'm going to make a great nation. I'm going to bless you and through you cause much blessing. What an amazing thing. Just out of the blue, God says this. Now, from this we understand that God made us to live in His blessing. Amen? Are you made to live in the blessing of God? Or are you made to live in the curse? When God made you, when God had you in mind, when God created us as mankind, when God created this world, when God created this universe, He created it for His blessing, not for the curse. And this is the desire of God, that every one of us live in His blessing and in His promise. So He is faithful to this promise. And He comes to Abraham and He says, Abraham, I want you to be blessed, and through you, I want everybody to be blessed. Now, particularly as he says this to Abraham, as we know the story, that Abraham and his wife couldn't expect children. They, they were barren. So God chooses him that is in some sense experiencing the curse of this world and the brokenness of this world. Perhaps nothing due to their own fault. It's just the state of this world that everything doesn't work. There's, there, 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 where there was supposed to be life, there isn't life. And because of all of this, God comes and says, I want to bless you. So Abraham agrees with this. And you know the story. They go off and they leave and, and God takes them to Canaan as the first, the, the sort of the seed that gets planted of this land that God says, I'm going to prepare for my people. Now there's two things I quickly want to just remind us of the promise of God. The promise of God, as we see it made here to Abraham, first of all, the promise is both physical and spiritual. It has both physical and spiritual components. God did not just make a spiritual promise to Abraham. He didn't just say to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and make a great nation out of you. And, and, and this is a spiritual thing that he was saying. There was a physical component to it also. God's blessing in our lives has both spiritual and physical components. Secondly, God's blessing on Abraham's life was both for now, in Abraham's terms, for his life and for the life of eternity. The promises of God is both for this world and for the year after, for the life of eternity. It's not only merely for eternity. God didn't say to Abraham, you know, I'm going to give you a, a great nation and make a great nation out of you and all of that's going to happen one day after you've died. It was going to happen on this earth. This, this project, if I can call it that, of the blessing of God, of God's promises that he's bringing us into, is for both this world and for the life hereafter, in a physical and spiritual reality. And we've got to remember that. So God starts this process. And out of Abraham, we know that Isaac is born. Out of Isaac, Jacob is born. And out of Jacob, is 12 sons are born. And these 12 sons are the beginning of the nation of Israel through the 12 tribes. Now you know the story of what happened with Joseph. He was taken captive by his brothers and sold into slavery and taken into Egypt. And there God used him and raised him up after a period of time and made him a very important person that actually helped the Egyptians to gather food in a time and to prepare for drought that was coming. So that by the time the drought came, the whole world was struggling, but Egypt had all enough food. So people could come to Egypt. So uh, Joseph's family came to Egypt and there they reconnected and uh, they got food and then eventually because Joseph was there his whole family moved over to Egypt and now we found the story that at the end of Joseph's life his whole family this whole the beginning of the tribe of Israel is living in Egypt a uh, hundred or so people perhaps more but a small group of people the beginning of the Israelites they're all living in Egypt now and God is busy God is busy working on this promise that he gave Abraham. Now to do this promise, he needed to build a nation. So God started a project right there in Egypt. We don't know why, particularly Egypt, but it was God's wisdom. Perhaps it was the place, most secure place he could do it. But God started building this nation of his. These 12 tribes started growing and multiplying. If you read about it in Exodus 1, the, the, the blessing of God was on them so much that they started multiplying that at some point Pharaoh looked around at his leaders and his, his administrators and he said, guys, we've got trouble. The Israelites are growing so fast, they're becoming more than us. 
and uh, they, they, if they realize how many they are and what power they have, they'll threaten our kingdom. So we need, to, we need to sort this out. We need to find a way to keep them in their place. So Pharaoh started this project of subduing the Israelites and oppressing them through making them slaves in his work projects. And he started taking away their rights and started taking away from them just that which would make them strong and give them self-worth and self-respect. He removed all of those things and gradually he made them into a nation of slaves. And he started just using them for all his projects. And for a period of time, the Bible tells us 400 years, they were slaves in Egypt. Here were these people. By then, they were a couple of million people probably. This 12 tribes that mushroomed and grew because of God's blessing that was upon them. And now they were growing. But they were in slavery. Now they, we must remember that at that time they didn't know much about God. They had the story of Abraham that they carried through. They were very careful in their traditions to tell the stories. So every Israelite knew about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They knew about Joseph. They knew about their origin. They knew something about this God that spoke and a promise that was made to them. But remember, there was no temple worship at the time yet. There were no uh, religious writings, records that were given. They had a very vague knowledge about who this God was. But there they were. In the one hand, experiencing this paradox where in the one hand, they were blessed by God because they were growing and multiplying. But in the other hand, experiencing the curse as slaves that had no rights, no self-determination, feeling very far from being the blessed nation of God with their own country and their own place. They were living in these two things. Isn't it amazing how often in our lives, as we're on our journey towards the promises of God, we have times where we experience both. Where we experience the blessing of God and we experience the curse of this world. And, And there's this tussle that happens. So often. But here it is. If you look at this whole situation from God's perspective, you see God is busy building a nation. He's very busy with the Israelites. But if you look at it from the Israelites' perspective, they were probably thinking as time was going on, perhaps this was just all a dream. How did, we, who's Abraham? This hundreds of years ago now. Think about it. 400 happy New Year's. If we're all slaves... You know, living in some foreign land, don't have, you know, much. And, I, and we look at each other and we say, Happy New Year. What does that mean? Hopefully our slave drivers will be a little bit kinder to us this year. Hopefully the weather will be good. And as time goes on, it's so easy for it to feel like this promise is, is some vague thing, somebody's imagination. That was from their perspective. From God's perspective, he was very busy. He was building a nation. Because you cannot have a nation if you don't have people. And he was busy populating this group of people. And then on a specific time frame or in a specific time frame, God said, we don't know why, we don't know his criteria, but he said, I've got enough people now. Now it's time to finish phase one of the promise project and to go over to phase two. Phase one was to establish a nation, to cause a nation to exist. To take these 12 tribes and make them a a group group of people. Now phase two is to move them into becoming God's people, God's nation. So we have the privilege of hindsight. We, We can look back on the scriptures and the, and the records, and, and, and we can look back and say, oh, that was the moment phase two started. What was the moment phase two started? The scripture tells us a baby was born. Just a normal Jewish boy was born. Looking back afterwards, they interviewed his parents. They said, we always knew from little that he was very special. I think they'd ask that. If any parent would say that. But the scripture says something was about Moses. But as Moses was born, it was the beginning of God starting the new part of this promise project. And God started raising up this man, Moses. To one day be able to speak to Moses, to reveal his will to Moses, to to rekindle and reestablish and to take the promise further. So Moses lives his life, and you know the story, ends up in the the courts of Pharaoh, and then he kills somebody, and then he flees off into, into the desert, and later on we find him, he's now in the desert. Living his life, 
He's just Moses, trying to get a good wife, you know, just living life. One day he's out there in the field and he starts noticing this firework display that God is putting up. God loves fireworks displays. Fortunately, he seems to not do such damage to the animals. Sometimes they do. I don't, you know, let's not digress. But in any case, so God puts a bush there and the bush starts burning. And I don't know if it was like Moses walked past the bush the first day and said, oh, there's a bush burning, and then carried on with life. Next day he comes past, the bush is still burning, and the bush doesn't look like it's dying out. It doesn't look like it's, you know, sort of burning to ash. It just keeps burning. Eventually he now thinks, I have to inspect, and he walks closer to the bush, and then the bush speaks. Now at this point, it wouldn't have been necessary for God to tell me to take off my shoes, because by that time, I would have been running out of my shoes already. But Moses is frozen to the spot, and the Lord says, take off your shoes, this is a holy moment. And God speaks to this man. God speaks to this man. This is an amazing moment. God spoke to Abraham. Now, hundreds of years later, God speaks to Moses. And God takes the project the next step. And the next step in the project is to make sure that the people get to know him a little better. So God reveals more of himself than he's ever done before. He shows Moses some more of himself. And he starts speaking to Moses and he says these words to Moses. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. So God says, the promise I made to Abraham... I've not forgotten about that promise. I've been working on that promise. And now, today, I want to reaffirm that promise and say to you, we are going to do that which I said, and we are going for the promise. Hold on. We are now going to do this. But Moses protested in verse 13 of Exodus 3. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? Because by then, like I said earlier, remember the people didn't have a great understanding, theological understanding of who this God was. They had some understanding. They didn't even know the name of this God. So Moses says, who am I going to say is sending me? So God says, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. What an amazing moment. We perhaps don't value this moment because of all the knowledge we have from Scripture, because we live post-Jesus. Jesus was the final revelation of who the Father is. This is long before Jesus. This is the biggest revelation of who God is that we have received other than what Adam and Eve had as mankind. Here God comes and says, I am who I am. He says to Moses, go and tell the people, introduce me to them. You know, sort of go and prepare the way that they can know me. Because the truth is you cannot have God's promise without God. You can't step into the fulfillment of the promises of God if you don't know who God is because God's promises is about Him. He is the center of it. And that's what the word I am means. Now we, we've had the privilege of time to think through and, and, and read and, and study the word I am. Perhaps for Moses, if it was me, then I would have went, you need to give me a little bit more. I am, it's wonderful, short, I can put it on a poster, it's very easy, I can make a nice logo with it, but I don't know what it means. There's 10 things that I want to share with you very quickly, what the word, what the name I am means, and Yahweh, the derivative of that. First of all, it means He has always been. There has been no time before God. You cannot go back in history and find God's beginning, He has always been. He will always be. There will be no time in the future where God is not. God has, has always been and will always be. He is absolute reality. 
I am means everything is because I am. Because God is real, everything else can be real. There is no reality outside of God. You can't go anywhere and find anything where God is not. Because God is the reason for existence of anything. There's no alternative reality. There's no other world. There's no other planets that God is not there. Nothing exists without God. He is I am. If you want to say I am, that is a recognition that God is. Because you are. He is utterly independent. God depends on nothing else. He needs nothing. He does not draw from anything. He does not need sustenance from anything else. He is completely contained within himself. He is I am. The only way you can say is I am is if you need nothing else to define you and form you. He is I am. He also, everything else depends on him. Where he is totally independent and, and he depends on nothing, everything else depends on him. God, the scripture says, in him we live and move and have our being. God not only created us, but he sustains us. If God for, for any reason decided that any one of us or anything that exists will stop existing and he withdraws his power from that thing, it will cease to exist. Because everything depends on God. Whether we know it or not, everything depends on him. By comparison, all else is nothing. God overshadows everything else. All else is nothing compared to Him. He is so complete. I am. He is constant. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't learn. God doesn't develop. He doesn't grow. He has always been and will always be. I am. Not I will be in the future. You know, when God made Adam and Eve, He didn't suddenly go, New parent to this, tough man. Where's James Dobson? Can I find a book? You know, focus on the family. How do I do this? No, God has always known everything because He is God. He is absolute truth, goodness, and beauty. In fact, He defines what goodness and truth and beauty is. Whatever God does, that is what is goodness, truth, and beauty. He doesn't live up to some standard. He doesn't have some rule book that He you know, applies to his life or that he holds up to or some standard of somebody. He is the rule book. He is the standard. What he does, that is what is right and that is what is beautiful and that is what is good. He does as he pleases, therefore. Whatever God pleases to do, he can do because that will be the right and the good thing. He does what he pleases. He is the most important and valuable. Nothing else has any importance next to him and value next to him. Other than that, the value he assigns to it. But he is the most valuable and the most important. This is I am. So this I am stood before Moses at that burning bush and said, I am sending you to my people because I want to fulfill the promise that I will make a nation from them. But everything depends on I am. So that nation could only exist because God willed it and God would bring it about and God would sustain it. So it was very important at this point that Moses went back to the nation of Israel, not just with a promise that you're going to be a great nation, but with the word of God. That it is God's will, because if it's God's will, it will come to pass. If the nation expects it or not, it will come to pass, because it's God's will. God will do it. Because it's his decision. This is I am. So Moses goes back to the people. And they, and, they, and, they, and they say to the people, listen, we've had this experience. This is what God is saying to us. And God wants us to go and, and leave Egypt and go to the promised land that he's prepared for us. It's the time of the promise. And the people go, okay, sounds like a great idea. We're about tired of being slaves in Egypt. Surely anything else is better than this. Okay, we'll go for it. So they send Moses and, and, and Aaron to Pharaoh. And Moses and Aaron go and stand in front of Pharaoh. And in Exodus 5 verse 1, we read the following. They told him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. Pharaoh responds, is that so? Retorted Pharaoh. And who is this? The Lord. Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. 
Here fundamentally is the reality of this world that we live in. There are those that know God and there are those that do not know God. Pharaoh represents that which not only does not know God but does not want to know God. Because Pharaoh was deemed to be God himself. He was worshipped by his people as God. He felt he was the supreme power in the, in the, in the world. He had the biggest kingdom. So he says to, to, to Moses, I find your story of the burning bush very interesting. It's very wonderful. I'm glad you had that experience. That's your truth. But let me tell you what the real truth is. The real truth is I'm Pharaoh and I am king and I rule. And I don't know what this power is that you're talking about. But there's no power greater than my power. I will not listen to this voice that you say is God. I will not let the people go. Now, I find it interesting, and if you read about it further, that at this point, God didn't ask Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go forever. He said, just let them go for three days into the, into the wilderness to have a festival where I can spend time with them, introduce myself to them, you know, talk to them about the program that I've got, my promises, and then they'll come back and serve you. But Pharaoh challenges God. He says, I'm not going to listen to this, God. I will not do this. Now, if you challenge God, he always accepts the challenge. He steps up his game. Not only did Pharaoh challenge God, but he took it out on the people. In verse 6 of Exodus 5, that same day, Pharaoh sent this order to the Egyptian slave drivers and the Israelite foremen. Do not supply any more straw for making bricks. Make the people get it themselves, but still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's what they are crying out. Let, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That will teach them to listen to lies. Basically, Pharaoh's saying, man, if these guys got enough time to dream up such wonderful things, then they've got time to do more work. So he says, take away the straw from them. Now, what that literally meant was, when, when the straw was supplied to them, that meant that the, the workers could have shifts and that the old people could be excused from labor, the young people didn't have to, you know, they were, they were people that didn't do the work. Now the, worker, the, the foreman says, we want the same amount of bricks, but we're not going to give you the straw. So that meant the old people, the young people, the, the people that had off time, their job was now to go and get straw and to bring it to the ones that were making the bricks. So nobody had off time anymore. So they exacted more pressure on these poor people and they pressurized them have you experienced that in your life when you take the promise of God and you say okay I'm going to trust God's promise suddenly everything goes wrong suddenly the enemy steps up his game suddenly he tries to push you off and say no no and we step out and we say, yes, this is what God has for us. And I'm going to trust God. And then the enemy comes against. Because there's an enemy. Pharaoh had something to lose. He had, he had lots that he could lose in this situation. So he fought back and he said, I'm going to oppress you. And his oppression had the desired effect. Where the foreman and the Jewish leaders then, you know, freaked out. They went to Pharaoh and they said, man, we can't live like this. This is unreasonable. You can't do this to us. And, and Pharaoh basically said, man, it's your own problem. It's your leaders that came and told me these funny stories. So sort them out and then we can renegotiate terms and, and you know, get things back to normal. So in verse 20 of Exodus 3, we read the following. As they left Pharaoh's court, they confronted Moses and Aaron who were waiting outside for them. The foreman said to them, may the Lord judge you and punish you for making us stink before Pharaoh and his officials. You have put a sword into their hands and an excuse to kill us. Then Moses went back to the Lord and protested. Why have you brought all this trouble on your own people, Lord? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, he has been even more brutal to your people and you have done nothing to rescue them. Have you ever said something like that to the Lord? Have you ever spoken out like that? Lord, since we've stepped out, since we've believed you, things have just fallen apart and you have done nothing. Now perhaps you've never done that. I know somebody who has. Me. I have complained like that. I think I've used those exact words once and said, Lord, you didn't rescue me out of this situation. I had to rescue myself. 
Forget the fact that everything I used to rescue myself was what God provided me in the first place, but never mind. But here Moses says, Lord, I told you. I told you that if you tell me to go tell that to the people, it's not going to work. It's going to backfire. Now here we are, and it's not working. It's your fault. Because it's wonderful when you lead people, and then God doesn't come through in the timing you think it's necessary. So everything is now up, and, God, and it looks like this is a disaster. It's not going to work. So Moses go back to God. Oh, he continues to, to speak to the Lord. Exodus 6. I'm coming to the end of this, all these scriptures that I'm reading. Then the Lord told Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. When he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave his land. And God said to Moses, I am Yahweh, the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But I did not reveal my name, Yahweh, to them. And I reaffirmed my covenant with them. Under its terms, I promised to give them the land of Canaan, where they were living as foreigners. You can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel, who are now slaves to the Egyptians, and I am well aware of my covenant with them. God says, no matter what it looks like to you, no matter what it, that it feels like everything is falling apart, I want to tell you, I am busy fulfilling my promise. I have not forgotten and I am very aware of the problems you face and the situation you have. But in this, you will get to know even more of me than anybody else has ever known. Because here God says, I have spoken to those before, but I never revealed my name to them. But now to you, I am revealing my name. Because the promise of God is linked to the name of God. Because the promise is not something, it is who God is. It is His will. It is I am being I am in our midst is when we have the promise. So God says, you must know me. I am working very hard in your midst. Now you know the rest of the story. God sends the plagues. And through the plagues, he convinces Pharaoh that it's a good idea to let the Israelites go. But not only does he convince Pharaoh of his power, more importantly, the scripture says he convinces the Israelites of his power. They start believing this God is real. And what he says, he's really going to do. So they get a little bit more bold and eventually they leave. As they're leaving Egypt, God says, go back to the Egyptians and ask them for gold, silver, everything that you're going to need for your journey. They go. The Egyptians say, take whatever you want, just get out of here. So they go. They go out into the desert. God says, I'm going to take you to the promised land. The promised land that is a spiritual and physical reality. So I'm going to take you. So God starts a journey with him. We told that that journey should have taken about 14 days. If you walked it straight, I think God had a plan to take a little longer than that because he had some key appointments with him along the way, but it was never supposed to be 40 years. One of the key appointments that he had where they failed miserably was two months after they left Egypt. God brought them to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, the people gathered and God said, now I want to talk to you, my people, and tell you more of who I am and how I want you to live. If you're going to be my people, not just a group of people, but my people that live by my name, there's certain expectations that I have. There's a way you have to live, and I want to tell you how to live that. There's a way that you interact with me. There's a way that you have my presence in your midst. There's a way that you treat one another. All these laws and things I need to tell you now so that you can be my people. So God gathers them at Sinai. And he puts up another big display of lights and bolt, lightning bolts. And it's like, wow. And the people are there. Now, if you piece it all together, in about a week's time, Moses goes up and down the mountains uh, five times. Sometimes with Aaron, sometimes with other elders. And he's up and down the mountain, speaking to God, coming back to the people, speaking to God, coming back to, bringing information to and through. Eventually he comes to the people and he says, God says that if you want to be my people, you have to agree that you will obey my commands and you will follow me. The people say, sounds good to us. We want to be God's people. You go and tell God. Moses goes and tells God. God says, okay, now I want to I give you all this information that I have. Lots of data that you have to download. The people say to Moses, listen, Moses, you look like the man for the job. We're afraid if we appear before God, he's going to kill us. 
We've seen all this lightning bolts. We've seen what he did to the Egyptians. We're afraid. You go on our behalf, and then you come and tell us what we must do. Deal. So Moses goes up on the mountain the sixth time, all on his own. The problem is, God has got a lot to tell him. It takes 40 days. For 40 days, Moses is up there in the cloud, having an IMAX experience like nothing else. 3D, God is showing him the temple, the pictures, the worship. Yeah, I mean, he is like down. He, Moses needed a, like an uncapped data connection. You know, just he's downloading stuff, man. It's like, wow. And he's like freaked out. This, all the stuff that God is showing. And man, it's amazing. Down in the valley, the people are seeing the thunderbolts and they're starting to go. It's a, a two days now. Where's this fellow? And we actually read it in Exodus 32. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses. Now he's just a fellow. Suddenly he's like, this guy, he brought us all the way from Egypt to here. Now he's left us. He's up there having a, we don't know what's going on. Perhaps his data connection's too slow. It's taking him forever. He's got a telecom connection. It's taking him forever to download. Sorry, forgive me. Woo. He's, got a, he's taking him forever to download all this information. Can't we find somebody that's got a better connection, you know, that can quickly give us like an LTE router, 40 megs or 60 megs, and we can download this much quicker and get done with this nonsense. So amazingly what they do is Aaron says to them, give me the gold. Now, where did they get that gold? It was the gold God provided them as they left Egypt, said, give me that gold and I will create for you a God. So he makes this God an idol. Interestingly, what was one of the things God was busy talking to Moses up there on the mountain? It would be interesting one day in heaven when we see this and it actually happened at exactly the same moment as God was saying, you shall make no graven image. At that exact moment, perhaps they were, okay, one can only imagine. But here they are making God. And they said, here, all the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out into, of the land of Egypt. Excuse me. Isn't it amazing what can happen to us if we get a bit tired of waiting? How often... Does God seem to take his time? You see, because when God does something, he does it properly. But we get impatient. Come on, God. So we start thinking we understand. The most dangerous Christian is a Christian that has some level of revelation about what God's plan is. You know why? Because what we do is we take that little bit of revelation and then we say to the Lord, don't worry, I've got it, I'll fill in the blanks. And I know where you're going. I know what this picture is. And I am going to do this. This is what the Israelites do. They say, we haven't got time to wait for this anymore. We're going to fill in the blanks. And they make their own God. And they worship and they say, this is the God that is fulfilling the promise. Now God says to Moses, you better get down there. They are making trouble. They are turning away from me. Now why was God upset because of the calf that they were making? Was God threatened by that calf? Can I am totally independent of everything, existed before everything, after everything, the reason for everything to exist, totally complete within himself, can he be threatened by an idol? Does it cause him any problems when we make idols? No. God is perfect. The idol didn't threaten him. The idol threatened the people. You see, because the promise of God can only be fulfilled by God. Nothing and no one else has the power to fulfill the promise of God. Only God can do it. When you make an idol in the image of what you think the promise is or what will bring you the promise, you are settling for something that will disappoint you and will leave you disillusioned because it cannot do that which is the promise of God in your life. 
It may for a season look good. It may for a season feel wonderful. It may for a season feel like, wow, we've got reason to party. Everything's coming together. It's awesome. Like these Israelites were having a massive party because suddenly everything felt good. They were secure. Everything was wonderful. They could define it. They could understand it. Yay! But that idol, when they were finished at Sinai, had to be picked up and carried with them. You cannot take I am and represent him in an image. Because the moment you take I am and represent him in an image, you are making him smaller. You are reducing him to that which you understand. I am is always bigger than anything we can think and imagine. That is our I am. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts, the scripture says. We are always serving one that is so much bigger than us. But we know him because he reveals himself to us. He gives us the ability to understand him. No idol can do it. No idol can do in your life what God wants to do. We've got to be very careful, and I'm coming to an end. First of all, that we don't take the promises of God in our lives and that we don't make an idol out of them. That we think we understand what God has for us and what God wants for us. And that we build an image around that and then we say that, the promise of God, and we start serving that. Because then we reduce God. God's always got more than what we could think. The mysteries of God. Now God will reveal to us some of the promise because it's a cooperation between us and Him. But we've always got to leave that space to say, Lord, it's your will, not mine. And this year, a week of prayer and fasting is such a great way to come and bring all of us, to come and bring our thoughts about what are the promises of God and to submit them to the Lord and to say, Lord, I don't want to chase after something I have conjured up and thought. Even if it's based on what you said, I want what you have made and what your plan is in your time. Because this is the second thing we've got to watch out for. Not only that we make the the promise into our own image, but that we make the fulfillment of the promise in our own image. The way it's going to be done, that we make an idol and we say, that idol is going to make it for us. I mean, we pray for our country for for good politics, but forgive me for saying this, no president will bring us into the will of God. God can use a president, but ultimately only God can bring us into his will. Because you cannot have God's will without Him. You cannot go into the promise of God without God. It's a journey with Him. I don't know what 2017 was like for you. I know for many of us here, I mean, we had this amazing tragedy, this terrible situation happened with Debbie and Graham, the loss of their daughter over this holiday. I mean, this year will never, it will always be marked in their memory as the most horriblest of years. It may be that for you something happened. I don't know what 2018 holds for you, but I can tell you this. Whether it's a year of patience and waiting on the promise of God, or whether it's a year of where Moses is born and the promise is starting to become visible, if you stay true to the Lord, you will get closer to the promise that He has for you. Because He is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. And He is always busy in our lives with His promises. When you think he is the most uninvolved, he is probably working the hardest to establish his will. For us as a nation, may we remember God's promises. And may we give him the time and space to do what he needs to do. For us as a church, may we remember God's promises. God spoke many promises over this church. And he is busy working and in us and through us that which he wants to do. And we have some idea of it, and it's very important that we work towards that, but we will never fashion this church in our image, but in the image of that which God wants, and to the best that we understand. And we've got to give him time. In your life, God is busy. He is busy with his promises. He's busy fulfilling them. I pray that this year will be a year where you'll see the completion of some of those promises. But I also pray that you'd have the strength and the patience that as God is busy building, he may be in phase one of the promise that you give him that space. I wonder if you can stand with me this morning.
He is the God of promise. As you close your eyes for a moment, I'm not going to keep you much longer. As you keep, just close your eyes for a moment. Perhaps there's promise in your heart that you're very aware of right now. Perhaps there's things that you feel God has said over your life, things that you know God has initiated, God has instituted in. God has said this over your life. Perhaps there's desires that you have and you're praying through them and you're asking God. Whatever it is. The best thing we can do today is to say, Lord, like John the Baptist, may I decrease so that you may increase. Not my will be done, Lord, as Jesus said, but your will. Lord, we open our hands and perhaps you want to do that this morning as a prophetic act. Just open your hands. As you do that, what you're saying is, Lord, here are all my hopes, my dreams, my expectations. I give it to you, Lord. Because I know only you can make it what it's supposed to be. If I keep it in my hands, I'll make it less. I'll settle for smaller. I'll settle for shortcuts. But I trust you, Lord. And Lord, I ask that you would give us as a community as a nation and as individuals, the strength to trust you and your process and to go the distance with you, Lord. Thank you that you created each of us for blessing and not for curse. And you are committed and completely working towards that blessing in each of our lives, in this church and in this nation. We trust you, Lord. I wonder if you can turn to somebody next to you, if you may know them or not, and just say, may you have a very blessed 2018. And speak out over them. Because when we say that, we're not just saying nice words. We're saying God is busy with you and He's taking you to the promise that He has for you. May the Lord bless you. Join us in our week of prayer and fasting. And, and, and please remember the young people on my left uh, for Reverb, uh, uh, for C4G, for Reverb on my right. And um, have a wonderful week. We'll see you at the prayer times during the week. The Lord bless you. Have a great day.